0: So good morning, everybody. My name is David. I'm part of that uh, double D that uh, uh, Nathan was talking about. So it's great to see you all this morning. What I thought I'd try and do uh, first off is to try and cheer you up this morning because we've now passed what is supposed to be the worst uh, day of the new year, generally known as Blue Monday, which was last Monday. Blue Monday is a combination of memories of Christmas fading, such as they were this this time round. Uh, the cost of Christmas uh, arriving with credit card bills landing, the bulge around the waist that's uh, still there over failed new exercise regimes, or maybe that's just uh, me. But others have actually renamed it Brew Monday. I don't know if you heard that, which is, I think is a much better title. And uh, I think you could sit down have a nice cup of Yorkshire tea and thank God for his goodness. That's a much better uh, name for it. But that was last Monday. I also have a suggestion for this coming Monday. If you struggle, you wake up on a Monday morning, you think, oh, here we go again, we're still in this uh, situation. Uh, I've got a bit of a suggestion. Um, On Friday, this past Friday, I got delivered as part of my job a new electric car for work. And apparently, I was reading all the uh, bump that comes with it, and there's something that is called range anxiety which uh, apparently this is something that people have, electric cars have. Uh, it's a fear that there's just not enough charge in the electric car to get you home, and you have to get rescued. So Karen, if you're listening, uh, you might need to come and rescue me sometime if I uh, fail to get home from Hull. And I just wondered if um, some of us this morning have what I would describe as range anxiety in the season that we're in at the moment. and uh, anxious about, do we have enough stamina, enough strength, enough charge to see us through this season? And and just sort of thinking about that, the verse that came to my mind is from Lamentations 3, verse 22, which is from the New King James Version, and it's, The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies, his compassions never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. It's a great... Uh, a verse to carry through, so if you i 'm going to call it new Monday, so if you wake up tomorrow morning and think, Oh, Groundhog Day, another Monday, think new Monday and that god 's mercies are new every morning i 'm going to pray before I get into in, in, into what i 'm going to say this morning and just ask that God would be with us so Father, thank you that your mercies are new every morning, that you are with us uh, in this in this season. Father, I just pray for your word now, and I just pray that you'd speak to everybody on this call and that they would all receive something from you uh, here this morning. Amen. Okay, um, so we've been working our way through uh, chapter 8 of Matthew um, and had three fantastic stories of healing by Jesus in our series Encountering Jesus. Uh, Firstly, we had the man with leprosy. That we read about at the start of the chapter he comes to Jesus and asks for healing and Jesus reaches out touches him and he is healed and secondly uh, we have the servant of the centurion a man who's paralyzed is healed in this case it's the centurion who comes to Jesus on behalf of his servant so the servant is healed without Jesus being anywhere near him no laying on of hands and he's healed and Jesus commends the centurion for his faith. Last week, Jenny spoke of uh, Peter, um, the mother-in-law of the disciple being uh, healed from a fever. She didn't even request healing or speak to Jesus. And all of these healings confirm the prophetic word in Isaiah 53 verse four, which says, he took up our infirmities and carried our diseases. This is Jesus living out what was predicted many, many years before in Isaiah. What struck me about these uh, different situations is that each one is dealt with individually. The leper comes to Jesus and asks with humility. The servant of the centurion doesn't even see Jesus. And Peter's mother-in-law doesn't even speak to Jesus There's a little potential here for a joke about mother-in-laws and not speaking, and Google has an excellent supply of mother-in-law jokes, but I'm not gonna go anywhere near that this morning. I'm staying well away. The one thing that they have in common, though, is that they all encounter Jesus for themselves, but in different ways. I think it was Bethany who had a word after when, when we were worshiping last week, who made the observation about people having different relationships with the same person, different experiences. And each one of these people had a different encounter with Jesus. The next section um, in in my Bible, um, in Matthew 8, has the heading in my NIV Bible, the cost of following Jesus. And that's what I'm gonna speak about this morning. But just like Jenny, who renamed her passage up close and personal, I'm not entirely happy with that description because it only deals with part of what's going on. And the word cost does not even feature um, in the passage. So I'm going to describe this as Jesus first or putting Jesus first. That's my working title for this talk this morning. Um, I must admit that when we were looking at dividing up who would talk on the different passages, uh, I asked for the, the next section, which is about Jesus calming the storm. I've always loved that passage. But Joe got in first, and Joe's speaking on that one next week. And I must admit, with this passage, I've always sort of struggled a little bit to understand why does Jesus adopt this tone or approach about cost, uh, which on face value seems actually quite difficult teaching, a bit challenging, especially around Blue Monday and everything that's going on here. Do we really want this to be added to everything else that we've got going on? Anyway, I'm going to have a go. At unpacking it, so we're in Matthew chapter eight, verses eighteen to twenty-two. I don't know if we can put that up on the uh, screen, Bridget, so everybody can see. Um, And I'm going to read that. Uh, So we're in Matthew chapter eight, verse eighteen to twenty-two. When Jesus saw the crowd around him, he gave orders to cross to the other side of the lake. Then a teacher of the law came to him, said came to him and said, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, Foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Another disciple said to him, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. But Jesus told him, Follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. Um, Last week, Excuse me, Jenny had four verses to speak on. This week I've got five. And I, of course, got three points to make. And they all start with following. So we have following his commands, following him first, and following through. So for those of you who like a summary of what's coming, here goes. Uh, Jesus treats us, us all as individuals. Jesus knows our hearts and our minds Jesus is asking us to trust him and put him first above everything else, to follow him, to hear from him, and to do exactly what he says. If you like the talk at the end, it's all my own work. If you get bored and go make a cup of tea in the middle, then it's Google searches and it's the responsibility of somebody else. Uh, So here goes. Um, I don't know about you, but um, when I read these verses, I sometimes like to imagine what it would have been like to be around Jesus at that time and try to uh, visualize. So I had to go visualizing here. So the scene is seen here. We're on the edge of the lake. Um, There's a big crowd around Jesus. Not quite sure how big it was. Was it hundreds of people? Was it thousands of people? I sometimes wonder how could they all hear what he was saying? There'd been these fantastic healings. There would have been a buzz of excitement and people sort of thinking okay so what's going to happen next and then I kind of think so where would I be in this crowd would I be at the front of the crowd sort of lapping it all up hanging on his every word would I be at the edge Um, would I be at the back Um, and what and so I'll ask you the question what about you where would you be in the crowd Um, there's a um, when new ideas are presented to groups of people, um, it seems people can be divided into different groups on the basis of how quickly they adopt to new ideas. Um, so, take my example of this uh, electric car. Um, it's been given to me by my company, but I might be described as an early adopter. There aren't many uh, cars in my street. No, not many electric cars in in my my street. So the um, Listening to new ideas. So the first sort of section of the uh, population, if you like, listening to new ideas are divided like this. So about 15% would be what you would describe as early adopters. Then you get the early majority, and then you get the late majority. And last of all, a word that I'm loving, uh, there is the laggards. I think that's a fantastic description. So whilst I might be an early adopter um, of an electric card, car. I am certainly a laggard when it comes to all the technology that goes with it. All the things that you have to read, I absolutely hate them. I just do my head in and I need all the tech advice that I can get. So I am a laggard when it comes to this. So I'm wondering with all these diff- this different sort of uh, possibilities, when, if you were in that situation, you were hearing uh, the teaching of Jesus, what would you be? Would you be the early adopter taking on the ideas? Would you be in the middle, sort of thinking, "Mm, I'm not sure about this, or would you be the laggard um, at the back? So just try and picture yourself, where would you be in this situation? So I'm picturing myself. You'd need to imagine David, it's me, on the beach, on the edge of the lake. I would probably be sort of in the middle, I think, an early adopter, a late adopter maybe, in the middle of the crowd watching from a distance. So try and keep that image in your head as we go through this uh, talk. So earlier in in Matthew, we read in chapter 7, verse 28, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority, not as their teachers of the law. Um, He also had said things like, I have come to fulfill the law. He said to to the first disciples, come and follow me, leave your fishing job. He said things like, ask, and it will be given. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. And then the healings that we've been hearing about. And there's this sort of buzz on, the, uh, on, the, on all these people. on the like, what's going to happen next? What is he going to say next? People are wondering. Well, then we get this, what I seem to be, this is a sort of big shift, if you like, away from these healings. So this is point number one, following his commands. The NIV says, and I don't know if you've spotted this right at the beginning, he gave orders, to and i only just really spotted this, he gave orders to cross to the other side of the lake. So all the people there were being invited to go on a boat trip. Um, this series has been looking at the authority of Jesus, and we see it here in his teaching. We've seen his authority demonstrated in his actions and through, hearings, through healings, and we see it again here in his teaching. So he gave orders. Um, At my previous place of work, work, uh, a colleague, Mike, and I would regularly interview for uh, graduates, for interns, and generally uh, various members of staff. So we would set up these interviews, and I would, of course, ask the sensible questions at interview, like, if you were an animal, what kind of animal would you be? or the tedious, where do you see yourself uh, in five years? But he had this peculiar question. He had this stock question, which I always kind of secretly hoped that he would not ask, but it always seemed to pop out. And the question was, what do you understand by chain of command? And I used to think, oh, Mike, they're gonna think that this place is like some sort of autocratic place where you do what you're told and can't have your own opinion. But he'd been in the territorial army, and was steeped in the importance of decision-making and the importance of following instructions. And I used to think, well, how does this translate to property development and management? Because we weren't involved in too many wars in our company, although it seemed like we had quite a lot of battles. And at the moment, everybody's job seems like it is a bit of a battle. Anyway, back to the chain of command and authority. I don't know about you, but I've seen quite a few TV programmes and films about training up soldiers apprentices, interns. And each one of them, there's there's this process that they all seem to have to go through, making sure people understand what they're getting into with the aim that if if they're called in the heat of the battle or in a difficult situation, will they be able to stand up and complete the task? And there then follows a bit of a weeding out process for those who are not suitable or won't accept that kind of uh, setup. Uh, In my last few talks that I've done, I've always managed to sneak in a film reference and here's a quote from a film and I'd be really interested to know if any of you managed to uh, suss out which film it is. The the person is Colonel Jessup and he says this, I run my unit how I run my unit. You want to investigate me? Roll the dice and take your chances. I eat breakfast 300 yards from 4,000 men who are trained to kill me, so don't think you can make me nervous. It's a great courtroom drama. And if, I, if you were all here at Gateway, I'd ask you to stick your hands up and see if you knew what that film was, was from. And a good clue is to my age, because most of the films that I really love are about 30 years old, and this is from 1992. And it is a fantastic film called A Few Good Men, where Jack Nicholson oozes authority, and it's all about complying with orders. So Jesus gives an order. So point number one, are we prepared to do what he tells us? To go where he tells us to go. Jesus is always calling us to go to the other side to do something and and, and and walk by his side. So the first question those crowds on the beach have to address is, am I going to follow this order, this command that Jesus has given? When the boats leave the shore, am I going to be in the boat or not? So back to that picture, David, in the middle of the crowd, has to weigh the following. Do I accept this, this person's command and authority? Does he have the right to command me to do something? Is this the best way to spend my time? Could I be doing other things? David might say, has a proper risk assessment been done on that boat? is the crew competent and what about the weather forecast out on the lake i'll need to sort of put that into my phone and find out what the weather's doing so that's point number one following his command so then we get into the interactions that jesus had has with two people which leads me to point number two so point number one following his command point number two following him first so we're just going to reread the two interactions that jesus has uh, here, So the first one, a teacher of the law, a scribe comes to him and says, I will follow you wherever you will go. And Jesus replies and said, rather strangely, foxes have holes, birds have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. What a strange reply. I am kind of thinking, why did Jesus not say to him, oh, welcome on board. Great to have you here. Fantastic that you're going to be a follower. Come and sit in the boat and the nice comfy seat in premium class, away from the bad fishy smell that you can't get off your clothes if you sit in the cheap seats. I think to to try and answer this question, we we need to understand a little bit about scribes. So the the teachers of the law are scribes. Well, they they were educated in the law and prepared legal documents including contracts for marriage and property, land transactions, no doubt charging very high fees in the process. Just hope there aren't any uh, lawyers listening to my talk. I wonder if you can blip that out possibly. They diverted themselves to the study of the law and scripture and how it applied to daily life. You will perhaps be aware that Jesus often had very little time for them as a group of people. For example, in Matthew 23, Verses 2 and 3 we read, The scribes and the Pharisees have seated themselves in the chair of Moses. Therefore you must obey them and do everything they tell you. But do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. They don't practice what they preach. They don't, they don't, they don't do what they're supposed to do. So here was a slightly unusual scribe, one that followed Jesus. I think he probably they, they conjured up this picture of a, quite a nice life. Maybe have a nice house overlooking the sea, nice family, got it all together within that type of society. And I think what Jesus is saying here is, if you follow me, it could mean no property ownership, no nice three-bedroom semi anymore, nothing to pass on to your family. If you follow me, you might have no place to live, no job, losing your comforts, losing your status. Are you sure you're ready for this? Okay, so David, back in the crowd, listening to all this and thinks, "Oh, that sounds a bit harsh. He's worked hard He's, he ought to get all these qualifications and to, 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 to buy that house. And David has to now weigh up. If I follow Jesus and get in that boat, I might have to leave my home, my job, my position in society. Am I ready for all of this? So then on to the the, the second person that that encountered Jesus in this passage, who's described um, as a disciple. So I'm gonna read read the verse. Um, Another disciple said to him, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. But Jesus told him, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. So a disciple uh, might be described as a student, uh, an apprentice, following in those days a a teacher or or a scribe like we've we've just heard the first person that came to Jesus. And they've decided that they want their life to be shaped by the teachings of, uh, and this person becomes their teacher. And they adopt the values and the attitude, the actions, the principles of living um, that the, the scribe recommends. And the disciple is shaped, or tries to be shaped into the master's image. Does that sound familiar? Uh, but he, he comes back and he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Jesus replies, let the dead bury their own dead. Come and follow me. Um, there's an equivalent passage in, in Luke. And there's another person in that passage who asks to say goodbye to his family first before following Jesus. And Jesus replied robustly, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit uh, for the Kingdom of God, so this is why I sort of struggled to get my head around this. Okay, so this guy's just had a bereavement. Surely the right thing to do would be to deal with the these issues um, with his family before embarking out on a new career in following Jesus. But here's some 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 possibilities for us to consider this morning. This man's described as a disciple. He addresses Jesus as Lord. He seems to be willing to leave his family once he's uh, buried his father, which is important in Jewish law to bury your father and go through various rituals. But there's a possibility here that the, that, that the commentators talk about that the father is actually still living and he wanted to follow Jesus once all that had, had been dealt with. So maybe the father was elderly. He wanted to delay in following Jesus. He wasn't quite ready to sort of uh, to, to follow Jesus. He wanted a delay um, and Luke deals with this similarly in, in, in the passage. And this this one is also headed, the cost of being a disciple. And the conditions for following Jesus in Luke seem to set the bar even higher. So we've got Luke chapter 14, verses 25 to 33, and I'll sort of paraphrase. I'm not going to read all of this. And and he talks about if anyone comes to me, does not hate his father and mother, his wife and his children, brothers and sisters, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. He says things like anyone who does not carry his own cross and follow me can't be my disciple he also there's two analogies in there about estimating the cost uh being aware of the cost before following jesus a couple of analogies about building a tower so when you go out when you before you start building a tower prepare a cost plan before starting and being in the construction business i think that's a very sensible thing to do so jesus say prepare be, be aware of the cost before you uh, set out. And and, and another analogy about going to war. Before you go to war, estimate the likelihood of success. All very sound advice. So in summary, we're getting here. Uh, Jesus is saying, any of you who has not thought about this very carefully and is not prepared to give up everything he has cannot be my uh, disciple. This This is a high bar. So back to the beach on the edge of the lake, trying to decide. Whether we get in the boat and go to the other side, we have to consider the following. Number one, is following Jesus more important than my family? Oh, big question. And I was sort of weighing this up and I was reminded of our um, Christmas service that we had, our family service, uh, which was, was, was brilliant. And, and the points that uh, were, were made, I am summarised as follows. Uh, presents are good but Jesus is better. Food is good, Jesus is better. Father Christmas is good, but Jesus is better. And lastly, family is good, but Jesus is better. So that's the answer. Family is good and important, but Jesus is better. Okay, number two, David on the beach trying to weigh up all these questions. Am I prepared for what happens to Jesus to possibly happen to me? In summary, am I prepared to give up everything to follow Jesus, to let Jesus come first before personal and family relationships. Perhaps you could imagine these questions, these are big questions being discussed on the edge of the lake there. So before I come to my final point, I just wanted to to, to digress slightly, to to re-emphasise, to draw out that God deals with us all individually. This isn't one size fits all. Each person is spoken to individually. So just as he did with those uh, we heard about being healed, he treats everybody differently. We've seen this with a scribe and with a disciple, different things are, uh, are, are said to them. And I just want to look at three other situations briefly. So firstly um, Matthew, whose uh, book we're reading, his call to follow Jesus is referred to in chapter 9 verse 9. And it just says very briefly, Matthew, he got up and followed him. Um, so presumably left his job with the HMRC as a tax collector and followed Jesus. He, his call meant leaving his job. Second person to want to look briefly at is Matthew in Matthew 19 verses 16 to 22. We have the story of what is described as the rich young ruler. The sticking point for him was his wealth. He was asked to give it up. Jesus said to him, if you want to follow me, you need to give up your wealth. He, was, he wouldn't or he couldn't give up that wealth, and that was a sticking point with him. He was dealt with differently. Jesus saw his heart. He knew what, what, was, what was a real issue for this guy. Then moving on, the last person, um, somebody I've, I've sort of recently um, come across in the Bible, Matthew 27, verses 57 to 60. We come across Joseph of Arimathea, who was called to deal with the burial of Jesus? He's described as a follower of Jesus and he's described as rich. So it doesn't sound like he was asked to give to sell his possessions. In, in, in preparing the tomb for Jesus, he did what he was asked or called to do. So we've got three different situations. And it, what it, it speaks to me of is we all need to hear God for ourselves. And there are different things that, that will apply to us as individuals. And the important thing that we need to bear in mind is, is, is a verse that, that I love in John chapter 2, verse 5, which is when uh, the first uh, miracle takes place and Jesus' mother says, this is about turning the water into wine, he says to the waiters, whatever he says to you, do it. That is the key, whatever he says to you as an individual, do it. So we've got, we've had following his commands, We've had following him first, and then lastly, we're going to look at following through. So David's still on the beach there. He's got to decide, am I going to get in this boat and follow through on all these questions? Am I going to follow Jesus? Am I prepared to follow these, his commands? Do I accept, back to my chain of command, that he's authority, he has authority to tell me what to do? Am I prepared to accept the authority of this man? Am I prepared to put following Jesus ahead of wealth? family, personal comfort, personal relationships, social standing? Am I prepared to follow knowing that I might have to walk through similar challenges that Jesus was facing, which ultimately would lead taking up my cross? The the call to follow Jesus was urgent. It was immediate and it was the one thing that mattered above everything else. So whatever else you were thinking of doing, this must come first. And that call still sits in front of us today, potentially a call of not having earthly security, not having earthly tires, not having earthly distractions. So how do we get to that place of of accepting this call? And I think we get to that place of decision by hearing from God, what that means for us, each as individuals. Hearing from God is a game changer, something that develops over your walk with God over the years. Simon Peter says, uh, follower of Jesus, in John 6, verse 68, you have the words of eternal life. To who else would we go? He got it. He got the importance of, of, of that. So fast forward to 2021. How does this teaching apply all these years later? So I think this call to follow still sits in front of us, you and me today, this morning, as we dress address some of these questions I was just sort of thinking about some of the questions that we might have to address to put Jesus first and I've just got a a bit of a list here and just see whether God speaks to you about any and whether there are any where you need to think yeah I need to put Jesus first in the way that I operate on these so number one how do I spend my time where should I live how should I live how should I spend the money that God has given me which job should I do How much responsibility should I take at work, at church? Should I go to college? Should I go to university? Who should I be friends with? Should I be married? Should I be single? When should I retire? Should I take on a new job at 78 years old? Joe Biden. Should I take a chance in exercising that gift God has given, even perhaps this morning? What is the right balance for me of work family, church responsibilities, have I got the balance right, am I hearing Jesus on all these issues, what should I read, what should I watch, what should I start doing, what should I stop doing, can I continue in trusting God when life is hard, in illness, family challenges, bereavement, unemployment, loneliness, anxiety, so there may be apparent costs in putting Jesus first, but God's kingdom is like a treasure hidden in a field. It is worth selling everything you have to buy the field and gain the treasure, as we read in Matthew 13, verse 44. The cost of, fo- of not following Jesus is very high. So if you might think about the cost of Jesus being high, the cost of following Jesus is even higher. We need to hear Jesus for ourselves on these, these questions that I've just been raising and then whatever he says to you to do it, to hear, to believe, and to follow. I believe Jesus treats us all as individuals. He knows our hearts, he knows our minds, and he's asking us to get to a place of putting our trusting him first above everything, hearing from him and doing exactly what he says. Jesus, this man of authority, has demonstrated his power in healing and now sets in front of the crowd and his disciples a narrower road to walk, one which all these years later sits in front of us, even this morning. Uh, some of, the, of you will know this song which I, uh, I, I like, which is taken from Proverbs 3, verses five and six called Nothing I Hold On To. I lean not on my own understanding. My life is in the hands of the maker of heaven. I give it all to you, God, trusting that you'll make something beautiful out out of me." I wonder whether we can make that our prayer this morning. I'm nearly done. We come to Jesus on his terms, not ours, and that's how he wants us to live. At the end of the passage, I'd sneak a little bit into Joe's uh, part of the talk. Next week we read, "'Then he got into the boat and his disciples followed him.'" They followed through in their decision they followed, they got into the boat. And I just, that's where I want to leave it this morning. Andy, if you just want to come up, we're going to continue to worship and we're going to sing uh, All For Jesus. Uh, And there's a line in this this song, which I really love. Uh, I asked for this song, all of my ambitions, hopes and plans, I surrender these into your hands. And every time I sing this song, it's like an act of surrender. You're just saying to God, I'm just giving everything to you. I want to put you first in all these different areas of our lives. So I'm gonna pray and then we're gonna sing that song and just declare out um, you know, all these things. So Father, just thank you. Thank you so much that you speak to each one of us as individuals. Thank you that you know what is going on in our lives. Thank you that we, as we make choices on a daily basis, as we wrestle with some of these questions and, and look to put you first in our lives. I just pray for, the, for your help. I just pray for the power of your spirit and I pray that you'll help us to fulfill your calling on our lives throughout our lives and not to miss what you have for us. Amen. Thank you very much for listening and over to you Andy.